Hey listeners, please support the Business of Pharmacy podcast by checking out our sponsors at bizofpharmpod.com. That link is in the description. You're listening to the Business of Pharmacy podcast with me, your host, Mike Kelzer. Nicolette, for those that haven't come across you online, introduce yourself and tell our listeners what we're talking about today. My name is Nicolette Matthew. I'm a pharmacist. I own an independent pharmacy and I also own a consulting firm. So I work with other independent pharmacies around the country. And the biggest thing that we focus on is sales and marketing for your pharmacy. So carving out your niche, finding something that aligns with your passions, your profits, your patients, your payers, uh, and, and taking that individualized approach to independent pharmacy. I think where pharmacists have a hard time, I know where I have a hard time in my pharmacy, is we have it easy when it comes to sales because people come to us. You know, we're not trying to sell things to people. And so I think most pharmacists think of themselves more as marketers. But I think in today's day and age, you can think marketing, but you always have to think about closing. And I don't mean that in a real aggressive way, but you always have to think about closing the sales instead of just getting your name known. That's just not enough anymore. Right. That's absolutely right. And I think in the past, when pharmacy could rely more on volume, it was more just maybe brand awareness or marketing or and just having your name out there and having people know that you're there and that you exist and that you can fill prescriptions. But now, uh, just with the reimbursement trends and the landscape, it's become so challenging. You know, even these legacy pharmacies that I work with who have been around 100 plus years, fourth or fifth generation, that model doesn't work anymore. So, mm-hmm. you know, you end up finding months down the road that you paid your patients to take their medications. Um, yeah. So when we can find out what's actually profitable in my area, and it might not be prescriptions, and that's fine sometimes, but what what actually on my profit and loss makes sense for me to do as a business owner? And then let's go out and, and market that so that we can bring that type of business, the business that we want, into our pharmacy. What kind of people have hired you that after a while you realize they're just a pain in the ass? <laughs> well, we all are, aren't we? All pharmacists oh, we are, all probably. Are at times. That's my <laughs> wife. Yeah. Yeah. If you had a client, let's say, think of one that could have turned into a pain, what would their personality have been that you said, ah, oh, this guy or gal is just a pain in the ass? Yeah, it, it happens. I've been consulting for a long time um, throughout different companies and hospital systems and that. And um, what's not fun for a consultant is when um, it's kind of all talk and no action because I don't actually travel there and do it for the pharmacy owner. I have my own pharmacy to run and my own, you know, clients to work with and pool data on and help drive decisions. But, um, so, you know, it's, it's sometimes it's, you can think of consulting as a gym membership. Um, you can pay the fee, but you have to come to the gym and you have to put in the work. So it's really frustrating when, um, perhaps Pharmacy owners or, or any types of clients don't put in the work or or don't adhere to the plan that we've laid, you know, to 
to actually try to grow. Um, but really, it seems like most pharmacists are um, overanalyzers and we like to make things maybe more complicated than they have to be. And it's hard for a lot of us to, to go out into our community and work on doctor detailing or work on sales and marketing because that, that's um, listening, that's asking questions, that's not having all the answers and that's okay, that's relationship building. Uh, but there's, there's also something very endearing about pharmacists who go out and doctor detail because they're not salespeople. Yeah. And they're very genuine yeah. and they know their subject matter really well. Right. Sometimes they just have to have that confidence and that structure on who am I visiting? What is my message? How am I following up? How am I providing value in what I'm doing? I imagine some clients you have, they don't even realize they're not going to do it until they actually have to leave the comfort of their pharmacy and go do it. And that's when it maybe smacks them in the face. It might be that they're not trying to lead you on, but it's just not in their blood yet. Would that be fair? Yeah, it happens. And and we all know, I mean, sometimes in pharmacy, the wheels fall off. So you could have the best intentions and then you have staffing issues or you have some regulatory issues that pop up. And if certain things are on fire, right in front of your face, you have to deal with it and you have to manage it. And as the pharmacy owner, you're the one that has to do it. So you may have the best intentions to go out and talk about this new LDN compound that you're making and that you're seeing wonderful results with, but you just can't get out. So sometimes it's the realization that you you have to hire for that position and you have to hire someone to go out and to to be the sales representative for your pharmacy. You know, what's kind of a pain to me is when you have sales teams and you have relationships and so on where, you know, Bob knows Sally who works there and all of a sudden either Bob quits or Sally quits and all of a sudden you think back to this company you had an association with and then they're just gone. I think it takes a lot of, well, it takes a good uh, CRM database, you know, to follow that, but then it takes a lot of work, those relationships, especially with changing environments and mainly changing environments of certain people. Yeah, absolutely. And, and in doctor's offices, their turnover rate is typically pretty high. Yeah. So sometimes you can get your foot in the door with common relationships. Um, but something that we really work on a lot, especially here in my own pharmacy, is a team approach. It's not always intuitive that your sales team should be the same team as your workflow and operations people, uh, because if they're not on the same team and on the same communication channels, they'll butt heads because it's it's your ops team, your technicians and your pharmacists on the bench. They're saying, you know, what is this rep out there saying to the doctors or what are they promising them or we don't do that or that's not our pricing. And then you have the reps. Why isn't the pharmacy team you know, why are they taking too long to call the patients? Or why why are the prescriptions not making it out? Or why is my office still having issues with prior auths or whatever it is? So uh, where we found the most success, we turn on uh, an instant messenger with the sales rep and the whole workflow team. So it'll pop up on all their workflow, on their workstation computers. And if the rep is in the field and they have a question, can we compound this? Can we special order this? They don't ask me, the pharmacy owner. I'm working on HR stuff and payroll and strategy. I don't know. I'm not in the workflow. 
So they just straight ask the workflow team uh, and then they can get an answer in real time too. So keeping them on the same team has been really helpful. The people you're detailing, do they see that team too? Or is it like a BCC to them? Are they seeing all those people involved? That's a great question. And yes, they are. That's good because I think it, then if, you know, Bob's gone for a week, they still know Betty and, and Molly or something like that. Right. And we'll even have the office managers email into my lead compounding technician to see, can you make this or can we flavor this or can you do this a little differently? So if it's a question that they know is very detailed, the office even knows who to contact on my pharmacy team about those questions. So we really open up our team and our infrastructure to their office. Like, how can we help you? We have all these wholesale accounts. We have all these capabilities. What do you need? How can we help you? And then as opportunities come up in the doctor's office, they think of us first and they think, well, let me just ask them at Palm River Pharmacy if they can do this or if they can help this patient or this patient has a strange allergy or previous failed therapy. Let me just, and it's almost like putting in a consult to the pharmacy team. A physician's office, do they see the faces of any of these people besides the salesperson? Let me tell you why. With this podcast, on purpose, one, for attention, but two, is just so I don't shock somebody, I put my face on some of my, or most of my social media, because I've got a face for podcasting, they tell me, <laughs> a face for radio, and I don't want to shock the hell out of somebody when they say, that old fat guy is the one doing that? They've got to see me so I don't shock them. Do the doctors see any of the other team or is it just the names and maybe they see the salesperson? Yeah, they don't see them so much in person unless they come into the pharmacy, which we always invite them to. Um, but some fun things that some of our pharmacy clients have done around the country, um, some of them will even host a reception at their pharmacy um, and they'll do little appetizers and they'll invite the nurses and the office staff and the prescribers to come into the pharmacy. Um, so that's one way. Another way that um, we have our staff pictures on a lot of their um, email signatures. So that's just a small way. That they yeah, can see. that's a good way to do it. Um, we have a lot of, I'm not a big fan of stock photography. It's always the same guy. I'm like, boy, that guy gets around, but it's from, right. you know, the pharmacy stock stuff. Yeah. And so it's, we spend a lot of, of time and attention on how does the pharmacy look and because we're a retailer. So we should capture that. And it's really not that expensive to hire a freelance photographer to come and take actual photos of your staff and of yeah. your store and of your DME section. And, and, and it should look nice enough for photos. So that's that's what we do a lot. If you look at my pharmacy's website, we have a whole gallery section and it's all real photos. Um, we have photos of all the team and a little write-up about each person in there. So I do think that's important um, just in this day and age with with maybe the chain competition, the online competition. If we can elevate our branding as much as possible so that people know that we're a really legit, robust business that they can work with. But what's the name of your pharmacy or where you were talking about? Yeah, it's palmharborpharmacy.com. Palm Harbor pharmacy.com. Mm -hmm. I just want to look at some of the pictures you were talking about. Where would I see those under? Um, oh, I see them there. Yeah, like in an about us or a gallery. As I scroll down, let me see here. Yeah. Oh, I see the about us. Sorry, let me look here. Our pharmacy team. Oh, that's that's a nice photo. 
Yeah, we have our pictures done probably once or twice a year. In a couple of days, we're taking a photo of the whole team for our Christmas card. Okay. All right. And I got to say, I had to look at this first because that's a very attractive picture of the six or seven or eight of you there. But a lot of times you see like dental offices and they got the one dentist there. And then you got about 30 people in ill-fitting dental blues, you know, it just looks like they said, all right, everybody get in. And they took this picture and I don't like those. Yours is very nice of the group. Oh, good. We, we take our branding and the aesthetics very seriously. So, um, and we warn everybody before we're going to take any team photos. Yeah. So everybody can do their hair and makeup in there. But, but we take it seriously because it is going to be printed and put a lot of our marketing materials. Um, and we do hire a professional photographer to come out and get the right lighting and the right editing um, because it, I think it matters. Do you ever have anybody that doesn't want their picture on stuff for various reasons? Outright. I have a lot of team members who don't want to do videos because um, I'm always doing just different uh, different webinars or different kind of how-tos, um, especially when we were doing a lot of COVID testing. We would take videos for other pharmacies on, on how to do it or how to perform the tests or uh, just tips and tricks with the different machines. Um, and I, ha- I have a lot of team members who don't like themselves in videos. I wonder why not in videos. Pictures will take it more than videos. I wonder why people don't like the videos. Um, a lot of my team is afraid of, of what they'll say or that they'll say the wrong thing. Talking about stuff. Mm-hmm. Or that they'll, you know, because we you've seen all like the spoof videos where, where someone misspeaks and then they make a whole song out oh, of it. Oh, yeah, right. So, Nicolette. Don't give me dollar figures. How is your revenue structure set up for your consulting? Oh, for the consulting? Um, yeah. We, we keep it pretty simple. We have a few different membership tiers. Um, some of it is just some data analytics. The next one up is um, data analytics and a robust dashboard, but it's all SaaS. Hmm. And then the next tier up is um, all the SaaS and all the webinars and all the recordings and all the software capabilities, plus custom branding, and one-on-one consulting. So it's more of a two-way communication. When you said the first couple levels, is there any human power behind those in terms of individuality? Or are they, you mentioned the last one was one-on-one. Were the other ones, they're able to get into some group conversations or something? What's the difference between the one-on-one for the top level and the first two levels that then by default do not include that? Yeah, the first one is just um, just access to the network and the resources and some recordings and some data. They're using your data or you're looking at their data? Um, we're looking at theirs. So we aggregate uh, pharmacy dispensing data from um, over, over 200 pharmacies around the country today. And we look at the dispensing data, we pull it in every night, and then we just visualize it for trends or for just whatever we're seeing that's happening out in the industry. Um, reimbursements are a mess, but it's it's nice to see, for example, I can look in a certain state and see what the reimbursement trends are. You're going to see a lot of really high dollar specialty reimbursement type drugs. You're going to see some middle of the road. You're going to see some underwater. But at least then you could see if you wanted to go market dermatology in this region, what would be the products that you would want to go market? So how have you grown that business. I'm not talking 
how the people grow theirs, but how have you grown your consulting business with these pharmacies? How have you landed them? Um, a lot of it has just been through social media. So um, I've been I've been doing this quite a long time, and and kind of in the in the industry. I used to work for PDS. I was the director of clinical services. So I've visited a lot of pharmacies, worked with a lot of really smart pharmacy owners to create programs, and then I do a lot on social media, interact a lot in the groups, um, and learn and make you know relationships just through social media, and then. I attend a lot of the trade shows, and then I, I speak at quite a few trade shows as well. I should start going to more trade shows. I used to go to one of the major wholesaler ones. They'd kind of force you to go, and they'd give you yeah. some discounts to do that, and I don't do that anymore. We got rid of all the brand names at our store, so I don't have any major wholesalers that like us anymore, so they don't force us to go there. But I should start going to more now. It might be kind of fun. It's a commitment for pharmacy owners, you know, they got to staff is. your place. And then you look at the dollars that you're spending and all of that. I know it's good, especially if you go to a good one, right. you get energy out of it and so on. I look at all the trade shows and it's, there's, there's your big three and those are in the summer. The top three wholesalers. Yes. Yep. The top three wholesalers are the big ones. Those are, those are run in the summer, usually like June, July, um, maybe going into August. And then you have your your PMS. Some of the PMSs have their own shows, so the pharmacy management systems. Yep. Those are usually pretty good. Um, they're smaller, and they they I think that they have more engaging content. Engaging content on stage, would you say? Yes. Gotcha. Yeah, and um, NCPA has great shows. I guess I haven't been to theirs. Maybe I look those up online more. I'm more familiar with that. I don't recall going to one though. Yeah, they have a, a multiple locations conference actually right near me in Clearwater, Florida, every February. And then they have their big annual conference that just goes around the country, but it's usually every October. Um, so that one's good. And then there's just your different um, different buying groups. Usually will have their own conferences and uh, state associations too. Although then you're mixing in with the chains a bit. Do you buy a booth? We do. We buy a booth at a lot of the shows. What's the average cost of a booth? Ooh, it depends. Um, if you're at a smaller show, two, three, four thousand dollars. Um, if you're at one of the big three, it it could be ten, fourteen thousand dollars for a booth. But I feel like everything's negotiable. So um, a lot of times you can negotiate if you're going to speak. You can go, and especially at a smaller show. Because they don't pay you to speak. And so you negotiate right. that down then. Yeah. You could try to get a booth in exchange for speaking. Sometimes they'll pay for some hotel or flight or travel or every show's different. Which one would you go to if you could only go to one? Oh, that's tough. If I could only go to one, you know, I was really pleasantly surprised with the most recent NCPA show. Uh, because historically, you think of NCPA show from a vendor perspective and you think of, oh, it's a lot of students or it's a lot of um, pharmacy owners who who maybe are are not as innovative or, or they're used to doing things just the same way, more tra traditional. Um, but I, I think now with the pressures in the industry, people are becoming more... Um, inventive they're they're wanting to change their business into into something that they can control rather than right. being controlled by the PBMs 
if they were more traditional, what group would have been maybe a little bit more forward thinking? Well, I, I go to the Pioneer. Oh, that's right. Some of the ones you mentioned with the software ones. Yeah, those, those seem to be really innovative because if you have the pharmacy owners who are really involved in their software and making suggestions and using it actively and, and trying to make it better and trying to get more into medical billing or more into uh, vaccines and travel clinics or, or clinical consultative services, those things are kind of exciting. Especially the people that, A, they've got the pharmacy system, and then B, they're probably going to that because they want to get more out of it. And by definition, to get more out of it means you're doing other things maybe with it. Right. Yeah. What do you do with those damn things? You sit in a booth and just stare at people. When I go to those things, I always feel like I'm walking down the middle of a bunch of like telemarketers. I just put my head down and once in a while, I'll sniff out a uh, ice cream bar or something like that and get that from a booth. But I don't like people looking at me like that. What do you do in the booth the whole time there? Well, you feel just as uncomfortable because you don't you do want to... in the yeah. booth. Yeah, you do, because y you don't want to try to force someone into talking with you and having conversation. Sure. Um, but I have a lot of fun when I go to the trade shows and I, I try to do it differently. So. I'll I'll do a big lead up to it on social media that we'll be there. We want to talk about this. We have this exciting thing going on. I'm speaking at this time. Please come fill the seats so I'm not alone. And then I, you know, it's it's a small industry relatively. So you see a lot of your friends there and you just chat with them. And it's nice when you, you can um, just be connected with so many people nowadays on social media, just on your personal account. So I know people's names and their spouses and their kids and what they have going on in their lives. So it's nice to see them in person when you are used to seeing them on the internet all the time. And I imagine it's weird because some people, they've got like one avatar, like yeah. one profile picture. <laughs> and in your mind, you think like the person's 5'8 and they're this. You've seen them like in one angle and then they show right. up and they're 6'4. They have a different personality than you imagine, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely different, but it's it's fun to meet up with people and go to dinner. It's on my list to to put on a show of our own at mm. Atrium someday. But if we do put on a show, it 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 won't be the traditional show because you know, putting on a show is a business in itself. So, a lot of these companies, they'll say we're going to put on a show as a business and then they'll invite some speakers and then pay a bunch of money to have a motivational keynote speaker come that may or may not have anything to do with your industry. <laughs> and then you have all these expenses for the the hotel food and beverage and uh, the minimum on the room rentals and the hotel block minimums that you have to commit to, the, all the AV audiovisual packages, and then you're on the hook for all that. Then you're paying all this money for all these speakers to come. You're trying to put a schedule all together. You're trying to pay for all the food. Well, then you have to sell tickets for people to come and then where most of the companies make money on a show is from vendors, from the booths. So then you have to invite all these vendors, but you have to make it worthwhile for them. And, oh, you guys are going to get a return on your investment because you're going to sell. I don't like any of that. No. I have my own businesses to run. I don't want to have to be kind of um, indebted to other companies that you're going to earn your return on investment, you know? That's hard because... If that's part of your business, but before you know it, you're spending a crap load of time and mental energy 
to do this one-off thing. And it's hard to find energy. It is. In my town, at one of the malls, they would have a medical thing. You know, people buy the booths, I don't know, a few hundred bucks or something like that. And there'd be maybe 50 of them or something like that. I thought, I don't want to sit here. I never did them. I didn't want to spend the day there, pay the money. Didn't want to have to staff the store when I was gone and things like that. Right. But I'd always walk around with my business cards and give them to everybody at all the booths, you know. So here I'm going for free and I'm just talking to everybody in each one of the booths and they're learning about me and so on. So that was my kind of sneaky way. Yeah, you have to, you really have to decide, especially owning a consulting firm. Um, And we realize how challenging it is to own and operate a pharmacy because I do that too. Um, So your price points have to be sensitive. You have to have opt-out terms because things change so frequently in pharmacy. And you have to just truly be able to go to bed at night knowing that you're providing value for these clients and that you're helping them to earn more than they're spending. I don't think there's any competition for Atrium 24 in the market because what we do is we focus on sales and marketing for pharmacies. Um, And then you could say, oh, digital marketing. Well, there's a lot of companies that provide digital marketing services for pharmacies. Well, we don't do that. We specialize even further into physical marketing. So we help them with their strategy, their branding, their print materials. We actually make custom print materials that are clinically sound, that have sales sheets and sales messaging. And we actually have on staff, um, we have clinical staff and pharmacists, but we also have pharma reps. So um, industry, pharma industry reps from Lilly and from J&J and from the big pharma companies. Uh, Because I've learned as a pharmacy owner so much from the pharma side. We didn't learn this stuff in pharmacy school. So if you're going to have a business and you're going to grow that business, um, you mentioned it previously, having a CRM. Most pharmacy owners don't know what a CRM is. So having a CRM, who are these clients in your your client relationship manager or customer relationship manager, whatever you're going to call the CRM? Um, For us, it's the local prescriber's offices. It's the local travel agencies, the local schools, the local factories, wherever we can go do vaccine clinics, local churches. Um, But we load all those into our CRM. And then we also keep our pharma hat on. And my pharma reps do consulting for our pharmacy clients as well, because then we determine, okay, well, you have your whole target list. And then now let's figure out what the sales strategy is to all these targets. Let's figure out a routing plan. Who are you visiting? you know, on which days, what's the frequency. So we typically create a two-week routing plan. And so then you have 10 business days in that routing plan. And then um, you just go kind of in order from your target list uh, geographically. Who does it make sense to drive to first and then second and then third? And then you put your notes in the CRM and um, you just follow up. And typically in sales, someone needs to hear the message, you know, six or seven times before they're going to buy So most pharmacy owners, if they don't have a CRM or targeting or routing or a frequency in mind or any print materials, strong branding, strong online presence, they're they're not going to go and have that frequency and that follow up to actually impact change. It's got to be six or seven times there. And then, you know, it's got to be six or seven years. It's a commitment. You have to be organized. There's an author... 
His name is Harvey McKay. This book was around 20 years ago, and he was a basically a commodity salesperson of uh, envelopes. He had an envelope company, and his mantra was McKay 66. And so he would require all of his salespeople to know these 66 things about the business. And so the obvious ones are birth date and alma mater and those kind of things. But with 66 of them, you can imagine it goes deeper too, where they like the vacation, what their hobby is. That's valuable advice for anybody, even a pharmacist who has customers coming in. If this customer went to, you know, Florida last week on vacation and went to Disney, that's something that can go into the 66 list. So then when the person comes in again and pharmacist Bob is not there, but pharmacist Julia, she can say, hey, I understood you went to Florida. How was it? You know, this and that. So you can get that database in whatever level you are of any organization. And so when we talk about the CRM, I imagine you put in there some of the details, but I would imagine some of the chummy stuff goes in there too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Our our sales reps, CRMs, um, they have in there, what's the girl at the front desk's name? Sure. Uh, what are her kids' names? What's her cat's name? What's her favorite color? What candy does she like you to bring her um, when you're going out and making your rounds? Because all that matters. And people used to come into us and I would always joke about it. I know they're doing their job, but they'd come in and they'd say, hey, how was, uh, how was Drew's baptism? What happened when he was like two months old? Now he's like 12. You know, yeah. it's like, I hardly remember I have a kid named Drew, much less what his <laughs> baptism date was, you know. Exactly. But it can go overboard. But when done right, those things are music to people's ears. Yeah, it just gets them to open up. People like sure. talking about themselves. It just makes them have a, a a better level of comfort with you and trust yeah. so that, you know, when an opportunity arises, they think of you. And I think that most people are good people. And so, yeah, your job is sales, but my job is to go around and just let everybody know what my company does. And if it can help you, I'm here. And I just want to make it easy for you to use our services should it make sense. I've talked to some of our staff that our best thing probably would be to go around to doctor's offices and have zero agenda, mm -hmm. zero agenda, except to say, is there any problem we can solve for you? And don't use that as a gimmick. I'm not saying you can always do this because you do sometimes want to go places and say, here's our services and so on. But it'd be interesting just to go to a place and say, is there anything I can solve for you? And just like, square to yourself, you weren't going to present anything to them outside of that question for, you know, a year or something like that. My reps tease me here at the pharmacy. They say, you know, if if I come back with questions or information from a doctor's office and give it to, to me, the pharmacy owner, it just goes on your desk to die, Nicolette. They say, you know, because there's things on fire, remember, and there's all kinds of things going on. So it's nice having Atrium. Um, we work a lot of times with the reps themselves. They just give that information straight back to Atrium. And then our clinical pharmacist team, our graphic design team, um, our compounders, we research all the questions. We put it on the forms, whether it be an RX order form yeah. or a sell sheet or an, an information sheet. We put it on the form branded for that pharmacy and get it turned around back to the rep as quickly as possible. 
so that the rep can then print it out and go back to the office and say, here it is. And then they can start sending in the business. You're talking about reps that are under you that these other pharmacies, for lack of a better word, kind of rent out. They're your employees and they're used fractionally by the other pharmacies that are in a certain geographical location. We do it a few different ways because pharmacies are so different and their budgets are so different. Uh, their sizes are different. For example, we do have that model that you mentioned. It's called the infield sales rep uh, model where Atrium hires the rep. They're on our payroll. Um, we pay their 401k, their salary, their health insurance, their taxes. And then we almost lease them to the pharmacy. We, we give them an assigned pharmacy and then we just charge a flat monthly rate. And, and we manage that rep as well. We manage their CRM. We have a rep manager um, who talks with that rep, keeps them on task, looks at their CRM, looks at their data, just make sure everything's working well, keeps their expenses in check, watches everything, and just make sure it's all in alignment. Um, that's the most comprehensive thing that we do. And it's really labor intensive. Uh, but we learn a lot too from that model. And then we have other, other um, kind of packages where we'll find a rep for a pharmacy, we'll train that rep, um, we'll do some onboarding. They, they can come here to get trained or sometimes we'll fly out to their pharmacy and help train that rep and yeah. understand the workflow. Um, but with those models, that rep is an employee of the pharmacy. And then that pharmacy just pays us a consulting fee. How many employees do you have? And maybe FTEs or partial? How many people are involved in this thing? It sounds like a hell of a lot of work to me. It is. We we have some pretty robust technology and we're about to launch uh, even more. We're launching a really exciting piece of software, hopefully by the end of the year, um, that's going to automate a lot more of what we do and identify targets for everyone. Um auto brand a lot of materials. So it's just going to make a lot of things less labor intensive for us. Um, but I want to say we have uh, FTEs, seven or eight FTEs, um, and then we outsource some work too. For me, I think it would be very valuable, almost like having a, uh, what do you call it, a personal trainer, you know, somebody to stay on the company for months and years and so on. Because sometimes, even if you like marketing, you might really be into it, but then things happen in life, you know, and it's so important, I think, for that consistency. Yeah. And that's, that's what we have to do. Um, when I worked, when I worked for PDS, the structure was uh, a pharmacy would pay a monthly membership fee. And then for that, they would get a, a one hour meeting every month with a business coach that was outsourced. And then they would get a, a one hour monthly meeting with a performance specialist um, who was like an account manager. Um, and that account manager was internal. And um, it wouldn't always be the owner that that account manager would talk to. It would sometimes be a project lead or whatever the owner was working on. So that's in our in our kind of two way communication consulting package, kind of the higher membership tiers where we work on strategy and consulting. Um, I'll have a monthly call with those pharmacy owners myself um, if we're talking about strategy or if we're working through the process of setting up like an IV drip clinic or something like that. Um, and then they or their reps or their technicians who are doing doctor detailing or whatever it is, 
they'll set up calls and meetings with with my farmer reps and they'll kind of act in a consultative way with them. You know, every pharmacy is different and some of them don't want to or can't commit to a one hour Zoom every month or, you know, structure and schedule the week before. Some love it and that's how they like to operate and they're very punctual and, and they like it being on their calendars. Some like to just call us when they're in the parking lot of a doctor's office and they have a question. Some like to text us. You know, they'll just send us a, a text right away. We work with them however it fits into their day. Um, and I think that you have to have that flexibility, especially nowadays. Um, and it's just the more reachable you are, the more people are going to utilize your services. This sounds like a lot of fun. Coming from a guy that kind of likes to sit on my ass and do things in the computer and marketing stuff, it sounds a lot more fun to me than running a pharmacy, which I've done now for, <laughs> you know, whatever, too long. Where are you going in five years? Do you like the pharmacy? Is it too profitable to not get rid of? Is it important for you to have that so you can tell people that you're in the game? This is important for your image because you walk the walk. Where does your pharmacy and your consulting business jibe five years from now? I always like to think of it as one foot on the dock and one foot on the boat. So sometimes it can get a little squirrely, but you do have to balance it. And, and I, I think it is necessary if someone is going to be consulting, they have to be in the trenches along with you. They can't be in the ivory tower. Or they can't be disconnected. I feel like consultants who, who at least don't have some kind of, of daily appreciation as to how it actually works or, you know, who aren't getting the faxes from the PBMs or the audits or the, the new contracts, do you want to sign it or do you not? Then you're almost in a different business. You're then selling to these people instead of working with them. And then you're working with other vendors to try to figure out, you know, how you can get more money out of out of the whole situation. And I just I don't that's not my favorite thing. My favorite thing is to to have my pharmacy, which has always been my dream coming from parents who are entrepreneurs. And I have a pharmacy here. I love it. I love our, our team, our environment. We have a lot of fun. They just they love to put on spirit weeks. So on, you have to wear crazy socks on this day or you have to wear a crazy hat or they just they love coming to work and I do too and it's fun and one of our patients we learned over the weekend is in a nursing home and we were worried about her because we were going to deliver one of her medications and she didn't answer the door so the whole team took it upon themselves to find out where she is and what happened and they're calling the hospitals you know so it's it's important to have that connection to your community a lot of our patients are my neighbors I sponsor all my kids' softball teams and soccer teams. That's important if you own the local business. If you right. said you didn't want to do the pharmacy, that part wouldn't matter as much. Right. Yeah. I think it, it helps to stay connected just to the real world. And then you can strategize all you want and you can grow and you can be successful. But then you start to wonder, am I actually making a difference? Am I actually helping people or am I just making money? If you talk to the average business coach, they're going to say, spend the time where your time is most valid and you're getting the most done and don't do things that someone else could do and so on. And it's like, right. true, but there's some stuff that gives you life. 
Maybe you like going in and making the pot of coffee in the morning for the group. You know, it's like, well, you shouldn't be doing that. It's like, well, yeah, but that's some therapy for me. Sometimes I'll ask myself, it's like, what if I had, you know, 50 pharmacies and by that point you're kind of up in the ivory tower. You have to be basically, you can't be manning them at all. You're doing your thing. And it's like, at some point you might grow yourself into a position. I suppose you can always hire, but let's say you're doing it. You can really grow yourself into a position that you don't want. Again, for right. me, for ass-sitting, I'm okay in the ivory tower. But let's say someone really loves being in a few pharmacies. You can grow yourself out of that job in a hurry. Now you're in a place maybe that you don't like. Oh, absolutely. And you know, we just had a meeting earlier today, me and my uh, rep manager and our director of sales and operations for Atrium, who's also a pharma rep by trade. And um, we were talking about the the growth and the scale of our rep management program, where we manage reps around the country who work yeah. for the pharmacy. And And there's parts of the job that we don't like. And so as it scales and as it grows, something I told my team earlier today is we have to be very careful not to build something yep. that we hate. That's exactly right. Because you can. For but sure. But you, you have to stay focused. What what am I best at? What am I best suited to do? Where's my zone where I can actually help people? And then, you know, you can't be pulled off that or, or you can't just be reactive and say yes to everything. You have to build what you want to do? Like, what do you want your day to look like? Yeah. And some people will say, grow and you can hire that out. It's like, yeah, but you're still responsible for it. You know, you're still responsible for the person that's doing something that you personally wouldn't like to do. So do you even want that under your umbrella? Right. Exactly. And then that's, that's part of your branding too. And you have to worry about it. So that's the thing with the trade shows going back to that. Um, when we do put on trade shows and we're we're planning out our 2023 calendar and and when we do put them on um they'll be small we were able to have one of these before the pandemic hit cuz atrium 24 um we just celebrated our third anniversary uh, a few months ago and we were able to have one small training event before the pandemic in person but in 2023 we're going to get back to it where we have kind of in person sales and marketing trainings hmm. And there's there's kind of a, a number that I like and a number that I don't like. I've built training programs for six people and I've built them for 180 people. I've spoken in front of just, you know, small crowds. And then I think at some of the conferences, it was uh, like 6,000 people. It's there. There's definitely a sweet spot if you're going to impact um, change. Because uh, otherwise, it's just lecture style and you could have watched watched a recording. So if you want participation and you want to learn from the people who are there, because uh, we can all learn from each other. Right. I like smaller events. Yeah. All right, Nicolette, let it be known that you brought this topic up. But now that you brought it up, now I'm unleashed. And that's of the speaking at these things. Oh, yeah. All right. So first of all, I got to tell you a story. So years ago, this is like 20 years ago, APHA They received a grant, I think, from somebody who was going to pay for the training of pharmacists to be over-the-counter spokespeople. And so, in other words, if uh, USA Today called up APHA and 
they needed someone to talk about, you know, a Tylenol problem or something like that. They could call these 10 pharmacists up and these pharmacists would have the training working with the news to be able to speak not on behalf of all the pharmacists, but representing what a typical pharmacist was doing. Somehow I got invited to that and I went there and the trainers were these two former news anchors. So they said, all right, we're on this table at the APHA headquarters. And they said, we're going to train you guys how to talk. And they said, which of you have had experience in the news before? Like a jackass, I raised my hand because everybody else is saying, oh, we don't like it. We're embarrassed and all that kind of stuff. And I was kind of prided myself on being PR for the pharmacy and stuff. So I raised my hand and say, I'm fairly comfortable. I do it, you know, once in a while at home and so on. They then pull out one of these big shoulder cameras and they say, all right, we're going to train you how to do this, how to speak to the news. I folded under the pressure because here I put myself up on a pedestal. So I'm sweating, you know, I'm like a deer in the headlights. And I, I probably came in last place out of these <laughs> 10 people that have never been in front of the news before. With that said, I've gone to some of these conventions. And some of these speakers, they're so tense up there. And I'm talking maybe the C-suite people of some of these companies. Yeah. They're so tense up there that it makes me wiggle in my seat because I kind of feel bad for them. And they're like a deer in the headlights and so on. Now, again, back to my story. I would probably do the same thing up there. I'm not saying I'm any better. But it seems to me that when these companies hire this, that would be part of the hiring process to know that this person can maybe be in front of crowds because it's awkward. You know, they're reading the teleprompter and then they do like fake smiles and they do their fake arm movements and stuff like that. And somebody's got to, I'm sure there's a million places, but some of these people have to go into some training for this so the crowd doesn't feel so nervous for the people on the stage. That's my <laughs> rant. So it seems that they need a little help. Well, it's it's true. And and we've all seen those presentations and such. But it's it's almost public speaking is almost like a golf swing. I think, you know, if you start to overanalyze it too much and pick it apart, then it just really falls apart. And then they become too self-conscious. So my okay. favorite people to listen to are uh, maybe people who aren't trying hard. They don't have much of an ego. They just, they, they know what they know and they want to talk to you about it. I like that. Um, and, and usually you can get that in a smaller setting or in one-on-one. -on -one. That's it. Um, but I know, I mean, I, I'm not a great public speaker and I've not had any formal training. I know I had a class in college that was just a requirement going through pharmacy school in undergrad. But I always try to get out of my mind about it um, and not think about, I don't even rehearse what I'm going to say, which the more people I listen to and, they, you know, they say, oh, I, I rehearse multiple times before I speak and I make my own slides and and I make an outline and I know how much time I have roughly and what I'm going to talk about. But it's always a subject that's that's really close to 
to my daily work that I, that I love and that I'm passionate about. And that's what I put out there that I that I will speak about. And then I just kind of watch everybody in the crowd. And um, I like to invite my friends, like I said, <laughs> so that I feel like I'm just talking to my friends. Asking questions of the crowd helps a lot, I think, and asking them to raise their hands. And then if nobody raised their hands, making jokes to loosen people up. Drinks always help. Um, but I and I, I'll make fun of myself a bit sometimes when I'm speaking and just so that I, I think that so, so everyone feels more comfortable that I'm not some big world renowned, reputable speaker. I'm just a pharmacy owner <laughs> um, with all the quirks that go along. That is the important part to have a lot of background on what you're talking about. There's a psychiatrist I follow online who does quite a bit of public speaking and his method is when he goes in front of a crowd, he's actually trying to figure out a problem that's on his mind that he hasn't really been able to nail. So he's almost using the stage as a time to think it through with the audience. He knows his material and he knows sort of where he's going. And he says he's got, from his experience, he's got about five or six stories from each part of that. So maybe he's got 25 stories that he has. And then he doesn't know what he's going to do or when, but he knows he can pull these in and so on. So I think the base of it is you really have to know a lot about your material, at least know enough that you have, on an objective scale, it may not be true, but you have to at least feel that you know enough so you feel confident. Yeah, that's exactly right. And um, I'll pull in examples from my pharmacy or projects that I've worked on with other pharmacies. And I'll, I'll put that in the slide deck. So if we're talking about, you know, the sales and marketing uh, structure for going into an ENT office or something, I'll, I'll pull examples of what happened when I went into the local ENT office and the questions that they asked me and how I responded or, you know, I'll pull in how things went wrong. We got into a little bit of trouble with like Steve Jobs because he went out there with his sneakers on and his, you know, his jeans and stuff. And he was very good on stage and that. But then every healthcare person wanted to do that. You know, you come out in your hoodie and things like that. You'll see it across the board. It's yeah. almost like I would ask a person, I would say, if you've never done this before, let's put you behind a lectern and just let you gently read it. I'd rather see that than somebody doing the sneaker hoodie thing when they've never had been in those since they were a kid. Right. Yeah, there's definitely a whole uh, like healthcare tech the whole thing going on. Yeah. I think that's going to crash. I think that whole yeah. hoodie thing is going to crash because you've got Metastock, you know, which is tanked. And you've got Apple, which arguably they haven't done anything since Jobs died. Then you've got the whole uh, FTX thing. You know, this guy was like a hoodie, you know, Bahamas guy. I think that's going to change and go back to more of a a formal dressed up thing, especially with the average Joe being at home in their PJs and things like that. I think it's going to go the other way and be a little bit more formal. Yeah, it might. I mean, you, you see a lot of this like venture capital coming into healthcare, and I think they're starting to realize that pharmacy is really hard. You know, it's it, there's just so much logistics and and so much patient care that can't be automated. So I, I I'm definitely seeing some 
some like VC pull out of, of healthcare. And then you're even seeing some of the Amazon failures, I think, in the pill pack. You're exactly right, Nicola. I've looked at some of these places that make these apps, you know, like these, it's not even like a hymns or something like that. It's more of just like an app for delivery and stuff like that. Yeah. And you see these VCs putting in like a billion dollars on these things. And it's like, that's not going to work. If you spend any time at all in the pharmacy, you're like, that's not going to work. And you guys dumped a billion dollars into this. It's like, right. there must be a lot of um, grandstanding going on about some of this stuff that just the average VC is not picking up on. I definitely think there is. And it's 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 those people who are not involved in the day-to-day. That's it. And they, they want to build dashboards or tech platforms. There's just way too many variables in pharmacy. And there's way too many niches in healthcare that you can't, you can't scale it. That's kind of the beauty of independence is that we can turn our ship very quickly. Warren Buffett's always said he invests in kind of boring stuff that he knows, you know, Coca-Cola and McDonald's and things like that, Dairy Queen. And then you get some people like Mark Cuban's coming in, but he comes in not thinking he's going to be the savior of things. He knows his niche now of some cash-based things, you know, smaller things, because I think you're right. I think that there is a light at the end of the tunnel for the pharmacies because you can't conquer this industry in chunks. It's got to be individual things like that. Yeah. I think you just, you, you focus on your specialty or your niche or your specialization and you do it really well. Yeah. And then you can grow. You can get, you know, multiple state licenses. You can invest in your physical and your digital marketing. But you you can't and you shouldn't be everything to everyone because then you're just spread too thin to do a good job. We do medical equipment at our pharmacy. In fact, we don't have anything in our pharmacy that's non-medical. So we don't have any cards or bubble gum or candy bars or, you know, gifts or anything. It's 100% medical. And... Years ago, there was some stores, I think in Detroit, they were starting out and they were kind of like the best buy of medical equipment. So let's say the store might have been, I'm guessing like, I don't know how big some of these targets are, you know, best buy, I don't know what, 50,000 square feet. I have no idea. They're huge. And you think like, oh, there's a killer. These are going to be everywhere now. And they found out that it didn't work because one of the reasons is people that shop there with their walkers with the tennis balls on the front of them, they don't want to walk across the size of a Best Buy store to get something. They don't have that stamina. And then, like at Best Buy, it's kind of cool to be out there. And Nicolette, you and I run into each other and you're like, Mike, what'd you getting? I'm like, I'm getting a new phone. And you're like, oh, I'm getting a new monitor and this and that. But that would be different if 30 years from now, Nicolette, what are you doing? You're like, oh, I'm, I'm getting some Depends. And I'm like, Depends, I've got a catheter. You know, yeah. those are the conversations you don't want to have in a place that size. So a lot of times bigger is not better. And I think that can be music to some pharmacy ears. And I think that's a valuable lesson to pharmacists that niching down is still the way to go versus the, at least figuratively, the big box combo of everything. That's true. That's a good point. And especially with the pandemic, we're seeing that the the physical retailers, they you can't get, you know, I can't walk into a store and buy uniforms for my kids anymore. 
into mm. like Children's Place or Old Navy or Gap. I have to go online because the physical retailers are not carrying all those SKUs anymore. It's just too much overhead. It's too much inventory. So most of what I buy is online nowadays. And it didn't used to be like that. When I when my kids were babies, um, you know, eight to 12 years ago, I still had to go to Target and buy diapers and formula. And But now, if, if I would do it now, a decade later, I would get everything online. So it's definitely changed. Um, so I think from a from a pharmacy and a healthcare perspective, there's so many SKUs when you think about medical supplies um, that a lot of our local doctors, when we go talk to them, we have some podiatrists and I go around to the doctor's office and give them flu shots and give their team flu shots. And that way I get time with the doc and I don't have to buy lunch. And so I ask him, you know, what do you send your patients out of here to go buy? Like if it's not something that you provide, what do you tell them? Like, go find this and where do you send them? And they say, oh, I send them to get their medical supplies on Amazon. And I'm like, well, they, you know, there's 2000 choices. And a lot of these patients are are elderly. So if you want to just tell us, like, what's the short list of what you tell your patients to go out and buy, and we'll just keep that in stock. And then just tell your patients to come see us at the pharmacy instead. Years ago, you're too young for this, but years ago, you'd have to buy like a Dell computer and you'd spend like three weeks to pick out a Dell. You know, you'd try to find the right amount of RAM and this and yeah. that and, and you'd freak out about it. And then, you know dog ear the page and the flyer that came out and then look the next day and all this stuff. And now you just go on the Amazon's choice and that's what you get. That points to the thing that we want the advice of others and, mm-hmm. and certainly medical professionals. It's too big of a world really to go out there and <laughs> choose stuff on your own. It is. It's, it's overwhelming. And so, and then we have the wholesale accounts with like Medline and, and the, the companies where we can kind of sift through and our um our DME rental program is doing really well. We rent the knee scooters and the wheelchairs mm. and the walkers. Um, and that's another thing that I tell our podiatric surgeons is that we have knee scooters in stock for your patients to come rent after they have surgery mm. on their on their feet or something. Um, so that's been really helpful. And then what's really helped us too in my pharmacy is having a robust online reviews program. I saw it when I was looking up earlier. You got like. I don't know, 1,500 or something like that. Yeah, we have over 1,000, um, and they're all organic. So we didn't pay and we don't incentivize or anything like that. But we did automate with our appointments. So we have uh, patients booking appointments for COVID tests or COVID vaccines, flu shots, shingles, tetanus, pneumonia. We give all kinds of vaccines now. After their appointment, they get an automated message. and It's very humble, and it just says, thank you for trusting us uh, with your care. We're a small mom and pop business. So if you had a good experience, uh, it would really help us if you would leave a review and we and we have a link. And so if they click that link, um, we use a software where it's really easy for them to leave a review on it's either Google, Facebook, Yelp or TripAdvisor, I think are the four biggest online review software companies. And 75 percent of our reviews are on Google. So having access to our Google My Business, keeping that updated for the business has been really important for us. And it's dr- driven a lot of business because if people search uh, knee scooters near me, will come up first. You can never go wrong with Google. Like on this podcast, I post my shows and some of the social stuff. I've made a Google site. So our pharmacy has one, but I also made one for this podcast. Right. And I post on there 
And I don't know what it does because I don't get any social input from it. But I got to believe whenever you're dealing with Google and putting stuff on there, and I would say for pharmacies on Google, along with, and I'm sure yours, Nicolette, I know the reviews are much more important, but even I put in the daily updates on Google, even though they don't get any attention, I got to believe it's helping with SEO and that kind of stuff, just floating stuff through Google. It absolutely is because then Google sees that you're a, a real business and viable yep. and you're updating and making changes. So so you're you're more likely to be shown in more searches um, and just able to pop up and, and be seen more. Do you use a program for your uh, rental, your HME rental? No. We just, what kind of programs do you use? Because you do a lot of DME. We do a lot of DME. We don't rent anything. I used to rent like commodes and stuff like that, which is gross now when you think about it. In fact, it was just Thanksgiving. And when we sell uh, toilet seats, the riser toilet seats, sometimes people will bring them back and we don't recirculate them, even though people say they haven't been used and stuff. It's like, yeah, okay. You know, some of you. So we throw them in the basement. But then last year on the Friday after Thanksgiving, we were slow. And so I brought a bunch of these old ones up and I put them outside with a sign like used I mean, they looked new and stuff, but I put used and they were gone like in a couple hours. People like free stuff and it was all the toilet seats. And so I called it our Brown Friday sale. <laughs> That's right. terrible, but it's funny. I know. All right. So Nicolette, so we don't, we don't rent anything. One thing we do is we have a free 48 hour wheelchair rental. And we advertise the heck out of that online. So what happens then is doctors and people find out about it. And what I like is that we touch the person figuratively like seven times. So they find us online. They might call us. Do you have one? Yeah, come on in. We've got them. They come in. Can I keep this for 72 hours? Sure. It's just a soft 48 hours. Enjoy it. And then they're like, do you need payment or do you need my name and things like that? And they're like, no, nah, we trust you. Just scouts on her, bring it back. So now they build up some trust. Mm-hmm. Then they're telling their friends about it. And then they have to decide when to bring it back. So we've touched them about seven times at pretty much zero cost, unless someone swipes the wheelchair once in a while. People say, oh, you trust us so much by not taking our name. You must trust us a lot. If I was being honest, I would say, well, you might think that, but the main reason we do it is we don't have a good way to record this. And if we (laughs) did, we'd probably call you a month later and ask for a wheelchair back. And you would have said I returned it, you know, three weeks ago and got pissed at us and it would have been our fault and all that. So we just (laughs) don't do it. With the rental stuff, we never had a good software. So I spent like 3000 bucks. This is like 20 years ago. I paid one of our local computer people to build this program. It was called FileMaker Pro. And we could build our own database and and make our own software for rental. I thought, this is going to be great. And they said, after it's done, you can then make changes to the software. This is before a lot of the drag and drop stuff. And so after spending like $3,000 and have a program that didn't really work, what I was able to do is change the enter button from gray to red. So you don't have one. You just do it by paper. Yeah, our rental program is manual. We have a lot of kind of high-tech programs in the pharmacy, and then we have a lot of manual ones. Um, We do a two-week 
minimum on the rentals. And so we have a rental form and agreement that they fill out. We put it in a binder and then the team just kind of um, they put it in like date order and they know when they have to follow up. Um, we keep we keep the credit card. So we charge it every. So, you know, they have it all organized. A lot of that stuff's better. Yeah. You can overdo a lot of the computer stuff. You can. And I've I've spent. Um, well, our first version of our software at, at Atrium 24, where we look at all the pharmacies dispensing data and we we develop clinical programs based on the needs out there. And another reason we built it is I just I hate free text. So if I have a consulting client and I don't like to get on the phone and be like, so how are things going? I want to look at your data before I talk to you and I know how things are going <laughs> and I know what questions we have and what we need to work on. So um, our first version of the software cost well into six figures. And it's good. It has a whole LMS with which is like a learning management system that has all the e-courses and the ebooks and videos, downloadable resources. It has interactive uh, dashboards and data fields. But it's funny. Uh, one of my best friends is a, a software developer, and he always tells me, whenever you build software, you have to assume that no one's going to log in. No one's going to look at it. Nobody cares. <laughs> he says, you're building it for you. You're building it so that you can help scale yourself and so that you can do your job and you can make insights automatically or more quickly or more accurately. So that's what we do in the consulting side. We build our software so that we can look at it. Um, I certainly do have pharmacy owners who are really tech savvy who do log in and make their own analyses. And I, I get so excited when when I can see the login details and I see the heat map or or they tell me that it's useful for them. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's like a bonus. <laughs> but the newest version of the software that that we're in alpha right now, we're hoping to release within the next uh, month or two. It's a sales and marketing software for your independent pharmacy. So it'll show you based on your data what your opportunity is and what the message should be. It it'll even custom brand some things for you. So it's really cool. Um, but I've also built in with our new development team and this, this software costs over a half million dollars so far. It's crazy. That you've paid to build. Uh, it paid or equity. Yep. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yep. So, but to find developers who can actually build something to this level, um, has taken me years to find. Wow. And so, um, we've built in a lot of triggers that kind of if this, then this. So even the even the CVS Caremark aberrant dispensing percentage or like just different nuances in the contracts. Um, if this happens, send an email immediately with this and then tell them how to rectify it. Tell them exactly which claims, you know, were outside of the norm. Or um, if your rep is out marketing to a new doctor uh, and they're out, you know, in the field and then a prescription comes in, that's a trigger that everybody has to be alerted like, hey, it worked. So go back and thank them for the business and and ask how else you can help or make sure that that patient doesn't flip through the cracks. Or how many times in your pharmacy do you, you're focusing on all this digital marketing, physical marketing, um, and then a new prescriber sends in business or refers a patient in to rent a scooter or something. Do we capture it? Do we know? Do we go bring a packet to them and say, thank you so much for trusting us with that patient? Um, we don't know how, did they just stumble in or did you send them? Or we just want to introduce ourselves. 
and, and be humble about it. thank you for for the business. We appreciate it because you have to joyfully ask for more business. Here's the problem, Nicola, with business in general is it's got to be a nice combination of technology and kind of that itch to really serve people in a personal way. Here's the example of that is you've heard of this company called McDonald's, right? The burger place? Of course. Yeah. Okay. I'm joking because obviously billions and billions serve, right? Everybody knows McDonald's. And they've got all the computerized stuff now for burgers, you know, and they go in there uh -huh. and they got all this stuff up there, all these giant computer screens you push and all this stuff. You would think that they have everything to get. I go in there like a couple years ago. There's all this stuff going. I'm like the only person there and I'm in there to get a coffee. Nobody comes to the counter uh. for like two minutes. I end up leaving because... You're in the middle of all this going on, and I kind of laugh to myself. It's like, you can set up the world in your pharmacy and all this stuff, but you still have to pay attention because here you got McDonald's, who you would think right. would have a way to trigger that a customer is there within 10 seconds. And I stand there for two minutes in the world's most highly functional fast food place, whatever. In a way, it's sad because you can never just say business is done. We conquered it. In a way, it talks about, as you had mentioned, the niche that pharmacists can fill. Because if McDonald's doesn't do it, look at the wide open range to still do things better and better and better than the big three or whatever. Yeah, there there definitely is. And I think like we talked about with the pandemic and things changing there with a lot of things being available online, endless amounts of SKUs, and then with venture capital trying to get into healthcare as well. It just shows how valuable having a real knowledgeable community liaison is, you know, for local prescribers offices, for local patients, for your neighbors, for the local softball team. They, they want a person. You could have an owner that is on the ball with everything in the pharmacy or a leader of some sort, but if the doctor's offices don't have that liaison that can somehow get across to them the value that the owner places on that, you might as well have a brick wall if you're not getting that information out to them. Right. And, and just being humbly grateful for business. I think is is important. Some people try to have everything together and have everything polished and just look like a very professional. And we should, but we should also keep the human element and and be excited. You know, there's a new doctor in town. Hey, it's nice to meet you. Please let me know how I can help you. My family lives in town. Our whole team, they all live locally and we love what we do. And if there's anything we could do to help you and your patients, please reach out because that's what we're here for. Because the CBS isn't asking them for business or being thankful for their business. They're just there and they're just convenient sometimes. <laughs> there's a local um, restaurant and they're Hawaiian. Ohana, it's called Ohana and that means family. And whenever you walk in, they just, you always feel welcome there, no matter who you are. And they always say, we're joyfully open. 
or, you know, we're joyfully serving you. And I think that's that's an important distinction. We want to be here. We want to remain independent. So what does our community need? Because we want to joyfully accept new patients. We need them. Gas stations. It's like, I don't know if gas stations want my business or not. Right. And it sounds weird. It's like, what do you mean they don't want your business? Like, I don't know. Maybe it's kind of like a lost leader. Maybe they don't want my business. And the thing is, nobody's ever come out to me and said, thank you for getting gas here. It means a lot to us that you've chosen us to get gas. And maybe, maybe they don't. But it seems like if they did, that somebody would come out and say, we appreciate it. We're glad you're here. We're happy to serve you, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think that's really important. And then like that same feeling is making it easy for people to do business with you. You you have to kind of um, view the journey from their perspective and then just remove as much friction as possible um, because it's it's uncomfortable. We even we just had a, a guy videoing the inside of my pharmacy uh, in the last week or two so that he can we can put it on Google. Because people, they feel uncomfortable if they walk into a place they've never seen nowadays or if they don't know what to expect. Um, so we want to make everyone feel comfortable. Let's say you're driving on the highway and there's a McDonald's, and this is maybe pre-review stuff, but there's a McDonald's there. You know, a McDonald's is 50%. Great. It's okay. It's right. But it's 50%. And Joe's Burgers might be 90, but it might be 10. And you don't feel like bringing your family into a 10. And so you just don't go. You go to the 50% of McDonald's. So unless you get online and the great job you guys are doing with your sales teams and things like that, unless you tell people we're a 90, they might think you're a 10. And right. they don't know. They don't know who's there. They don't know if it's some guy ready to hang it up or if it's someone who's really hot to keep it going. That's true. And so that's that's the challenge, you know, with these chains or even if you go out of town, do you, to your example, do you eat at a chain restaurant or do you try to find an independent? Let's see. If I'm just going through town, I'm stopping at a chain. Places that I know now, I try to go, but that's usually because I've heard things like in town. I've heard things. I might know the owner. I've I've maybe looked up on Google. I've seen the inside of the restaurant, that kind of stuff. But if I'm out of town, I'm going to go with the 50%. You know, I know the bathrooms are relatively clean and all that kind of stuff. And I'm not going to bother with Joe's. That's true. It's just human behavior. I know when I when I went to buy my pharmacy five, six years ago and I was trying to get a a loan at Live Oak Bank and um, they they said to me, how are you going to get business? And I said, oh, well, I'm going to do all these things and we're going to vaccinate patients and we're going to compound. And they said, yeah, but it's like getting someone to change their gas station is what Jimmy Neal told me. He said, they go to the same gas station. It's on the way to their route. They're they're comfortable with it. They know how to get in and how to get out. They know the traffic. They So how are you going to get them to change a behavior that's that routine? That's exactly right. Unless you're moving into a place that maybe has never existed before, maybe some new city in Arizona that popped up overnight yeah. and you're the new pharmacy. Besides that, any place you go and open up any business for a product that's mature, they're already getting it somewhere. Maybe right. not perfectly, but they're getting it somewhere. And that's what you're right. fighting against. You can't go average to average. You have to go best to average. And that's why you need the sales and marketing team to go out and educate oh. and invite people to come use your service and to make them comfortable. 
Absolutely. And to say, like you said, what are your challenges? What are you struggling with? How can we help you with your prior authorizations or or find, you know, the compounds that you need or whatever it is? And then just help make them comfortable using your services. Nicolette, I started off by saying that sales was so important and how I kind of suck at it because, you know, people always come to us. But I think through our talking here, what you're teaching is so important. It's marketing, but it's sales, not in a gaudy sales way. But unless you're out there thanking people for the business, asking for the business, it's not going to happen. You're doing great things. Keep that message going. Yeah, thank you so much. I, I think we pharmacists love structure. You need to structure your sales and marketing, your strategy, your messaging, and just stay at it. And then you can grow your business the way that you want it to be grown. Yeah, very cool. All right, Nicolette, we'll be in touch. Thank you. All righty. Thank you, Mike. You've been listening to the Business of Pharmacy podcast with me, your host, Mike Kelzer. Please subscribe for all future episodes.